Hello and welcome to the Rangers Review Morning Briefing. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined by Tommy McIntyre, esteemed Rangers author and managing editor of This Is Ibrox. Tommy, welcome. Dude, good morning. I can't get enough of those intros. I'll take that every single Tuesday morning. Listen, thanks very much. Nice to be here and hi to all the listeners. Yeah, it's not very often I get to use the word esteemed with Derek and uh, Josh around, so there you go. I was going to say it's not often it gets used with me either, but uh, I'll definitely I'll definitely come back if that's the if that's the intro. Okay, Tommy, we've got tons to talk about today. Not least, obviously, Rangers against Ajax, which is uh, starting uh, this evening. Um, looking forward to that one. I will be there at Ibrox. Um, I'm also going to be at the youth game actually, so I'm looking forward to both matches. Uh, that one's at Fur Hill um, in the afternoon. Don't know when. Still not got that far into my day, um, but I'll be finding out pretty shortly. The big news from the pressers last night, I think it was around five o'clock the pressers started. There was on a day off yesterday, but um, on the injury front, Tommy, Rangers are going to be quite decimated. Now, we know there's already problems in that regard, but Yilmaz is going to be out for weeks. Uh, Lundstrom is obviously suspended. We knew that, but again, that that's a big loss, especially given how he played against Aberdeen. And Ben Davies, although it's not a serious injury that he suffered um, at the weekend, he will not make this one, but should be back for the weekend. So Ben Davies out, Yilmaz out, Lundstrom out. The only good news is that Glenn Kamara's back. It, it's going to be something of a piece-together side, isn't it, against Ajax uh, tonight? Yeah, I think the word jigsaw is, uh, is, is probably coming, coming large in the mind there. I, I think you're absolutely right. The key point, I think, Giovanni van Bronckhorst was confirming Yelmaz will be post, post-World Cup due to the, the hamstring injury nature of that as well. I think this suspension at Lundstrom that you referenced there is, is pretty key in the centre of midfield where we're a little bit patchy sometimes, even when we've got a full complement. Um, although I can't remember the last time we actually had a full complement. Uh, it seems to be that we're playing it by numbers. The big thing for me is that Yelmaz, Davies, Goldson kind of selection there, you're missing big gaps in the wall. Uh, and particularly Davies, who I think has looked ever more impressive every time you see him on the pitch. He's really, really calm, really controlled on the ball, willing to move it a little bit better than maybe just the five or ten yard pass that people get frustrated with across the back four. So, you know, we'll see Barisic come back in and then, you know, we've got King uh, in there as well. Maybe Sands will drop back, back in. No matter who plays in there, I think we can all be fairly certain that it's not what we would have picked, not what we would have wanted in a game where we're really looking for something to something tangible to take away from what's been a relatively, let's just go with bruising since it's early in the morning, bruising uh, Champions League campaign. Yeah, certainly. Now, this centre-half situation fascinates and appalls me, uh, Tommy. I've got to be honest, I sat here on this video at the start of the season talking about the embarrassment of riches that Rangers had. Now, at that point, John Suter had come in, the, the situation to to allow Leon Balogun to leave seemed to me to be entirely sensical because you have a young talent in Leon King who needs to get game time. But I don't think any of us expected Leon King to become a first team pick, a first in the team, first on the team sheet job. But there's been an, just an unbelievable level of injury around, them, around those centre halves. When you look at Connor Goldson, who's been an Iron Man for for so long, just never out gets an injury. Ben Davies has had a stuttering start, but looked, as you say, I totally agree, very, very good in the, in the small um, amount that we've seen him so far this season. 
Hellander, obviously top player, but just constantly injured. It's really been a difficult situation, hasn't it? And Rangers are now at their bare bones. And if I told you at the start of this season that going into the final Champions League game against Ajax, Rangers would have a partnership of James Sands and Leon King at the back. I mean, would you have believed me? <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't have believed you. It'd have been no, no harder to believe or disbelieve than we'd be getting into the last game with zero points. Mm. Um, with a terrible goal difference as well. So take your take your poison there from what you want. But you're absolutely right. And I think the majority of people deal with the elephant in the room first with this, you know, growing noise that's that's been rolling on of we should never have let Leon Balogun go. He's the he's the person we should bring back and all that type of thing. Well, he's doing really well uh, now at QPR and stuff like that. But it was the right decision. You know, Rangers were in a good place. You can you can't legislate for injuries, although I mean I'm sure our insurance premiums are through, through the roof by this point in time as well but you know for me up until you know Davies has got real potential I've always maintained you know when I was speaking to the guys at this Ibrox anybody else in the you know my, my friends etc that Philip Hellander is the best defender at the club but we'll never see him again I think Philip Hellander is a he's a ghost somewhere out there in the, the football and wilderness Suter exactly the same he was bought as a bit of a you take a risk that as a gamble, right? In yeah. terms of you knew what his injury basis was. And then you had, you know, Ken, Goldson, etc. Um, Sands being able to drop back in there, we've already referenced. Worst case scenario, potentially a John Lundstrom as well, if it really if it really came to it. But the the point is you make about King, you're absolutely right. So it's great to see a young player, and I'm sure the listeners, yourself, everybody else will be in the stands tonight, but I'll be too love the fact that he's a homegrown young player who's been in. You know, we always clamour for that. Grow your own, get them involved in the game. If you're if you're good enough, you're old enough, yada, yada, yada. Somebody ring the cliche bell first thing in the morning there, right? But the, the point is, we also know what the flip side of that is. Overexposure of a young player, potential to physically degrade them, potential to pick up injuries, potentially have their psychology damage because they're part of mass defeats or whatever. Yeah. Now, King looks like he's made of really sturdy stuff, right? Kind of Rangers teak, if you like, and he'll do absolutely well. But it, you don't want to be in a position where you're relying on young players. Unfortunately, we find ourselves in that. Now, to, to broaden out the question a little bit, it depends where you go with that. Is it you can't legislate for injuries? That's unfortunate. Thank God we've got a little bit of a wider squad and a good pipeline from the academy. We can drop somebody in. Or was there a strategic misstep there because we knew the likes of Suter and Hellander had long-term injury problems and so should we have went a little bit further and retained a Balogun or brought somebody else in particularly when you're you know shuffling right backs out of the door and then spending money on left backs who take a little bit of time to embed that's probably the wider pool of frustration that goes alongside those questions yeah totally agree with that um for me, it's it's one of those ones where I think Leon Balogun, because of his injury record, you're pro- and, and his age, and Balogun himself talked about this in an interview with uh, while he's down at QPR. People looking at the number and thinking, right, okay, well, it's it's time to move forward, and I think that's that's probably part of it. It probably is part of it, but for, I think if you're looking back with. Uh, the idea that you now have that retrospective knowledge, probably you would have kept Nico Katic on the books just for that final year of his contract. Now, I know there's all sorts of problems with Nico Katic in terms of his retention of the ball, his ability to progress it out of defence, 
and we can't look past those, even though there's a lot of fans out there who love those rugged qualities. Um, but in a perfect world, given the situation as it stands, and given I would what I would imagine would have been a paltry transfer fee to get Katic off the wage bill, rather than um, you know a transfer fee that would be attractive to the club, I think that if you look at that, then that might have been a good thing. But do you know what, uh, Tommy, at the time, I would not have been back in that strategy. And that comes back to the whole thing that you said, which is you just can't legislate for this level of injury. Um, you know, Conor Goldson retains his Ironman status, then we're, Rangers are absolutely fine because you've got Sands, you've got King, you've got Lundstrom potentially able to drop in there. And, it, and it's not a problem at all. The issue is once Goldson drops out, then it's a big, big, big vacuum and it's a big hole to fill for anyone given the amount that he's played over the period that he's been at Rangers. And that, to me, is the big the, the big problem with this Rangers defence. Conor Goldson has his ups and downs. I'm a huge fan of Conor Goldson. I know not everyone is. And I think you can you can see what he brings to the table when he's not there. He's an organiser. Um, he, he's, he's reasonably good quality in terms of his passing. I think Leon King's actually done really well in that regard. And, and against Aberdeen, I have to say, King and Sands being able to progress the ball, I think was a big part of the the cohesion uh, going forward of the team. They were they were very good in that regard. But uh, Conor Golson's a big miss. Um, well, let's let's move this on slightly uh, and talk about the, this game ahead and what it means. Now, there's a number of things, Tommy, that are at stake. Not least the fact Rangers won. I think it's two point seven million. Euros that they pick up in prize money if they get a draw, it's nine hundred thousand. So serious cash on offer. I mean, two point seven is not a stone's throw away from what you would get from finishing second in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, I think it's two point eight. So yep. that tells you all you need to know about the size of the 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 prize fund for winning a Champions League game. So there's that. Then there's the whole thing about pride and not having this awful record um, continue and not being uh, ending up as one of these nightmare sides who just had a, an absolute shocker in the Champions League across six games. Um, and then, if you want to be ultra-optimistic, Tommy, I, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm not that optimistic <laughs> a person. Go on, I'll play the other side of the coin then this morning, Johnny. I'll do the optimist. <laughs> you could say that Europa League position is still up for grabs. Fundamentally, Rangers can qualify for the Europa League in this game. They have to win 5-0, yeah. but it's there. Um, out of all these factors, what's the narrative through line that grabs you the most? Well, I'll park up the um, the calculator result there in terms of what we need to do for the five. But, yeah, listen, the Champions League campaign started with uh, getting there, and it was fantastic. We know all the narrative around about the finances, etc. You're absolutely right to draw them out from a you know results perspective, which we completely missed it. But it's led to a wider thing for me. And I will come back to the, the nuts and bolts of that question in a second. But mm -hmm. it's in terms of where do the support see themselves as the Champions League? Because it's been quite an interesting watch as well with Giovanni Van Bonkers saying, you know, we can compete on the odd game. You know, we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe on a night. But we can't compete. We won't get X. They spend Y. We, you know, we, we're spending a lot less. And how that matches up to the expectations we have of ourselves and our club as a support. That's somewhere that there's a Venn diagram with, you know, let's be pragmatic in the middle of it. And I don't think pragmatism is something that we generally share quite a lot uh, in the stands at Ibrooks. Um, but getting into the results themselves, 
you know, I've said before in this in this podcast this morning, it's been bruising. It's been really, really tough to watch. You know, I mean, we've had some decent moments. First half at Ibrox against Liverpool, first half at Ibrox against Napoli, you know, before the sending off and they're just deciding that the game was was done and we weren't going to bother, respectively, in those two games. It would be nice to get a result this evening. It would be better to get a performance as well. And I'd probably say that for a couple of bases. Right? One, the fans need to go with the team. But I think on this occasion, the team need to bring the fans with them. Right? The, the weight is on the team here. They need to actually step up and perform. It can't all be Ibrooks and the fans will roar us on. Give us something to cheer every now and again. You know what I mean? But I think psychologically is the big thing for me. So it's been pretty damaging. You've seen John Lundstrom in a press conference recently, you know, backing the manager by saying he sets us out in a way to play. It's us that's not delivered. Okay, so it is filtering through. You're seeing Giovanni Van Bronckers talking about not being able to compete as opposed to just the odd night. So it's filtering through. They're trying to set expectations there. But as you turn back domestically, so we won't qualify for Europa League Right, it's not going to happen. I'll happily come back on here and eat whatever type of hat you want me to. <laughs> right, if, if we if we do turn Ajax over by five clear goals tonight, right? Well, everyone will be so happy you won't need to come back on. Everyone will forget. Right. I'll get away with it. It's a win-win on that on that yeah. occasion, right? But the point being, as as the guns turn back to the domestic um, fair, and that we need to keep building the momentum that comes off the back of you know some decent results domestically as well. You know, Livingston aside. You don't want another massively damaging defeat. It's bad for team morale. It's bad for individual players. It's bad for the perception the fans have of the management and the way they're structured behind that and recruitment, etc. It's bad for the brand, you know, having been pretty badly treated by teams in the Champions League. We don't want that because you have to have one eye on trying to get other players to come in as well. So, I mean, I've given you a lot there, but ultimately it would be great to get something. Do I think it will happen? I'm not entirely convinced it will. I think Ajax, even if they rotate, will probably be a bit stronger for us for some of the reasons we've touched on with the injury basis as well. Although I go and hope tonight. But it would be it'd be good to pack it away even at a low level just so we can get back to what's really important for the rest of the season, which is getting back the championship trophy. I think on paper, Tommy, this is the this is the easiest game in the group. And therefore, I think the expectation should be higher for this game than they would normally be for the, the other ones. I mean, Napoli are a phenom this season, and that's just been incredibly bad luck to get a third seed. I think they were third seeds anyway. Um, yeah. That has been just so outstanding, not only domestically, but European-wise. And and to perform that way out of nowhere, because certainly you would say their form last season under Spalletti wouldn't suggest that they would be at this kind of level. Yeah. So, so that's been incredibly unlucky. You're, effect- you're effectively drawing, you know, a Man City or a Real Madrid without even realizing it on that yeah. one. Yeah. And then you've got Liverpool as well. Now you look at Liverpool's domestic results and you think to yourself, well, what a brilliant time to have drawn them because they're they're just not putting it together at all. But it didn't happen. I don't want to go back down the route of those games. I think especially no. the game against Ibrox, despite the the promise in the first forty five minutes, was was not something we want to ever discuss again or look at again. Um, so that that's obviously been a disaster. But the thing is, in truth, Liverpool are obviously miles better than Rangers. Napoli are miles better than Rangers. But while I think Ajax are better than Rangers, they have better players, they've got better structures, um, they've got they've spent much more money, I think it's £97 million on, on players, although they did have a lot of players go out. 
I think there isn't that big a gap that there is between Rangers and Liverpool and Napoli. It, it, it's it's much more attainable, and you saw that the way Napoli tore uh, hmm. Ajax asunder. So I would put this game more in line with the games that we saw last season in the Europa League, uh, like against Leipzig, uh, for example, against Dortmund. That is more the kind of standard of of task I think Rangers have got in front of them, rather than taking on two teams who I think are absolutely in Europe's elite. Um, so in that context, I think you can see a show in tonight that is um, gutsy, brave, and with Ibrox behind it. And, and with that in mind, there's a possibility. But I also think these injuries have just, have just pushed it to a level where I don't think you can have the same level of expectation that you would normally have. It's really disappointing because there's real momentum, Tommy. I've not enjoyed the last two months. I don't think any Rangers fan would have enjoyed it. I don't think any Rangers content creator would have enjoyed it because having come off the highs of last season, uh, which was a bit of a roller coaster in of itself, but but the highs were so high to to go through this funk uh, this season where no one's particularly happy, no one's particularly engaged. There's a sense of malaise that, that is spreading around every aspect of the club in terms of, I think, the, the relationship with the fans and the club itself, that, uh, certainly by social media, uh, that's, yeah. made it, that's made it difficult. Um, and suddenly, you just see how football changes everything because on Saturday, that was a performance. Well, it was less of a performance and more of a sort of um, electroshock shock therapy, wasn't it? It was just out of <laughs> the... Um, it was just an out-of-the-blue spark to the system and 35 shots, 70% possession, complete dominance, a performance from beginning to end, players who haven't performed well recently suddenly back to the kind of form that we can expect, Fashion Sakala flying down the right wing looking like an answer down there, John Lundstrom pushed forward into number eight position and and performing unbelievably well. All of a sudden you think, crikey, this looks like what we, we thought Geo Ball would be. I don't like this geo ball thing. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm propagating it myself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really bad, so I'm going to stop doing that. Apologies to everyone who's offended and rightfully offended. But you know what I mean? It's like suddenly the two, the two part that everyone's in has been has been absolutely um, brought back to life almost, and then you go into this game with all these injuries against a really tough opponent, and you just think to yourself, if Rangers can go in and get a draw, I mean, get a win would be unbelievable in terms of just pushing that forward once again and, and giving people that light, that hope that, that there can be a, a turnaround. Yeah, sorry, I was, I was, I was still recoiling from geo ball there. It has yes. to be <laughs> that, that was a difficult moment for everybody. I'll never this podcast. Uh, I was hovering over the leave, leave studio um, button there for a second, but swiftly moving on for the sake of the listeners <laughs> as well. I, I think everything you say there is absolutely legitimate and correct, right? And you know, don't get my previous comments to say that I, I believe getting turned over by Ajax tonight is acceptable. You know, I still bring the fact that I'm a Rangers fan and we should always be competing to, to, to most conversations. I do think the injuries will, will have a massive bearing on the game, to be honest with you, in the setup that, that we've got there as well. But in terms of bringing that shining light, or, you know, that you're talking about, it has been, and we all know fine well that people, the fans, are less inclined to air, let's say, negative views. I'm not saying illegitimate views, because there's definitely some problems that Rangers need to face into a kind of club level, right, in the way they treat fans and interact with them. But less inclined to lead with them if things are going well on the pitch. 
right? So much, so normal, so forever in terms of football, right? And fans. Yeah. That's not happening because we've been getting a bit of, I mean, we're not miles away domestically. It's just not been happening, right? If we can get something tonight, it does give a little bit of a lift to the fans. It says that we can actually compete because of some of those games you've referenced last year as well. We can compete with European teams. The Champions League, everybody talks about it being a step up. It's quite clearly shown there. We've kind of shot ourselves in the foot in some games as well, it has to be said, and there's been moments that have just turned against us. A little bit of naivety as well, right? But we're not a terrible, terrible side. Do need freshening up, but we're not a terrible, terrible side. In terms of the wider aspects that you talk about there and the the club negativity, the malaise roundabout, that's not going to go away. There are some cases to answer. The AGM will be really interesting, you know, be even more interesting depending on how results go and lead up to it. But, you know, the club, I think, are trying to recognise some of the missteps they've had in terms of fan engagement, how they've went about their business, how they've maybe led with the commercial chin as opposed to, you know, which is, again, not illegitimate, but our business and we need to make money to do the things on the pitch that we really want to see. But... Yeah, I think we need to see more of that and more clarity and communication. You know, some of the steps recently in terms of board members coming out and giving interviews, et cetera, haven't been great. They haven't landed particularly well. What people are just looking for is a little bit more of a contract between, right, are you really in this with us? Are we here? And it can't always just be a case of, yeah, but we wrote some checks previously, so therefore you shouldn't ask any questions. That's not how Rangers work, and it's certainly not how they will work in anybody else's mind. So, yeah, it all comes back eventually to... If we get something on the pitch, everybody goes into the rest of the week fairly happy. So let's pull together and hope for that. I think touched on a few things there in terms of the injuries, etc. I think the start will be really important. If we can start really brightly and we go at them and we maybe get a few shots on target, get a goal or whatever, everybody gets a lift in the stadium, that will transfer itself, all that kind of good stuff. But if we see the way that we've started games being replicated. I'm putting Aberdeen aside and Aberdeen a poor side as well, right? I'm not not that I'm being pessimistic this morning, but I'm not going fully on the way of the bandwagon with that performance. I need, need to see it replicated uh, a few other times before I think we're out of some of the the, uh, the wilderness and maybe the feeling about Geo starts to turn as well. But if we can, if we start with a bit of a slow handbrake on, it might just be a bit of a turgid evening and I don't think that plays into the narrative or what the fans are looking to hear as well. I think most fans, interested in your view or the view in the comments, I think most fans would not take a, a defeat tonight. I'm not saying that, right? But if it came out that we went and we had a real go and we absolutely went for them, 90 minutes, slugging it out, toes on the line, nobody blinks, and they come away with the win, I think people would be accepting of it to a degree of, well, thank God we finally went for it. I don't think people want to see cagey football. Go at it like we went against Aberdeen, as opposed to the way that we've played the rest of the Champions League games. A hundred percent agree with you. I, I think uh, this is a case where it's the performance is more important than the result, to be honest. <clears throat> this is all about, I think, giving hope to people. That, and I think that's why Saturday was so important, because people looked at it and thought, right, okay, now I can see it. I can see the philosophy. I can see what, what he's trying to do. But that needs to be something that you can see every week. It can't be like one week, I can I can see evidence, and the next week there's no evidence whatsoever. Listen, one, one of the things I wanted just to touch on, just based on a couple of questions here, just about the recruitment. Now, it's been generally discussed amongst fans that, that recruitment's not been good enough. Alfred here saying the recruitment board needs to be sacked. Now, what I would say about that, first and foremost, is the recruitment team that was in 
re responsible for the, the, the summer dealings has, has left. Yeah. Um, there's a completely new recruitment team in. We won't know how good they are or, or what they've, they're have they capable of doing until January. Uh, but obviously, John Park's come in. He's uh, got a team of, uh, I think it's I think it's off the top of my head, it's something like 35 scouts uh, around the world um, underneath them. So, so, but the reason I want to just touch on this, Tommy, is I'm looking at those seven signings that have been made. We can obviously say John Suter is not, that does not look like it's working out at the moment based on the fact that he's been injured for so long. But I think he's got a longer term contract and I don't think probably after one year you would want to judge it. You would want to give that a, a judgment call. Um, well, I suppose it depends on how long he's out for. But that one that still, the, the jury is very much out. But I look at the seven and I think Antonio Cholak, that's been an outstanding success. Brilliant signing. Um, Tom Lawrence before his injury looked really, really good, I thought. Uh, a big, yeah. important part. Ben Davies, I think, is looking like he's going to be a top signing. So you factor in the fact that in the small bits that we've seen of Yilmaz, he's starting to look the part. You're going, right, actually, a lot of this criticism could melt away over time if they oh. continue the trajectories they're all on. I suppose a lot of it will depend on their, their injury profile because there's nothing that frustrates fans more than than signing a player who comes in and then just you can't use. Um, but it really just kind of does leave Rabi Matondo as a, as something of a of an outlier, um, as someone who's come in and just hasn't really worked at all to date. There is signs, at least with the rest of them, that there's something there. Would you agree with that? I, I do, yeah. Uh, Davies, Lawrence, and Cholak, yeah, absolutely. I, I think maybe a victim of circumstance with the Matondo thing in terms of He's not shown anything, but probably the primacy in people's minds is that we've known for a long time as fans that we've got a right wing problem. That's absolutely. And then spot. he's the, he's the purchase, and it doesn't work. It doesn't even look close to working. Now I, I get he's a young guy, and anything can change over time. But for such an important visible space within the team, that's probably what needed to be absolutely sorted. I would probably then switch to the midfield needed an uplift. Yeah, and we didn't do that. So yes, absolutely agree with everything you've said there. But I think it's legitimate for fans to also say, you know, what I've just said in terms of we've got these headline acts, and then you look at some other things that have led to uh, maybe some of that feeling we didn't naturally sort out the goalkeeper situation. What does that look like? I know McCrory signed an extension, but what does it look like in an ongoing succession basis? Because there's not a great feeling around McLaughlin. Then you look at the fullback positions, you know, Yilmaz to one side and Barisic, but what happened with the right-back position? It looks like Tavernier doesn't have a, an actual prod in the back from, from somebody competing with them to a large extent. And then some of those injury things with Suter and all that. And I think it is the the defensive one maybe crystallises around the fact that people will latch on to, well, why did he sign Suter in the first place? Yeah. Like, it was signed knowing the risks, but because we had a Goldson, a Sands, a Davies, etc. I think there's maybe just one other missing in there. But yeah, it depends what side of the bed you get off and what side of the coin you, you kind of you look at whether you want to be really positive about that or not. As you said, a lot of the team has been migrated out. There'll be a new structure in there. The question always comes back to what's Ross Wilson's absolute philosophy? What's he doing in that space? How much power does he have versus the manager? Now, I know it's a collective decision to, to make signings, but 
it would be good to hear more from Ross Wilson in terms of the yeah. maturity or the maturing nature of our scouting facilities and what we are intending to do because they're supposed to be big lists. He had a great reputation when he came up here. It's been relatively positive, actually. I mean, I think Ross Wilson gets not unfair criticism, but um, I think some people pour in other things that don't naturally need to be in there. So, yeah, I mean, if they can then solve some of the equations of another person in the forward line, and then what happens if you lose your Kent, your Morelos, et cetera, what does that look yeah. like? And, you know, people think maybe that there's lots of money sitting in a war chest somewhere. I'll use that old phrase, right, because it makes me smile. It's not naturally the case. Uh, what we need to do is make sure that we are developing players as well. But I think it's legitimate to sometimes criticise because the visible positions in terms of right wing, etc., have not worked. And for me, fashion Sakala is not the answer. That maybe yeah. makes me an outlier, but he's definitely not the answer for me. Well, I, I totally understand why you're saying that because I've been saying that for months and months and months. But the thing about fashion Sakala that I like, uh, Tommy, and, and certainly for the rest of this season, uh, or well, well, up until the, the January uh, break. Uh, well, there's not a January break this year, is there? Because of the World Cup. But yeah. You know what I mean? After the World Cup. Um, I think Fashion Sakala gives you that level of just insistent drive towards the goal. Sometimes he's going to fall over the ball. Sometimes he's going to trip over the ball. Sometimes he's going to fall flat on his face. But you know what? He'll keep doing it, and he'll do it time after time and time again. And, and, and of those 20 times that he does it, five times he'll get in and, and deliver a really, really good ball. So it's just for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, he's a great volume player, which is why you'll get goals and assists. Um, but listen, you're of a same generation as I am. He's not the kind of player that would have survived in previous Rangers teams, I think, over the years, because there was a certain level of class that you had to be at and a certain level of consistent delivery that you had to be at to to kind of survive at Rangers in the days of Gascoigne and Loudrup and uh, McCoist, you know, and you look at Fashion Sakala and you go, mm, sometimes technically good and sometimes technically not good. And that's <laughs> frustrating. Um, but in the meantime, for me, out of the players that are there on the right wing, he's the answer. I, I totally agree with everything you've said, actually. The, the big thing for me about the recruitment is that lack of energy in midfield. I know people don't like this. I know it's not popular, but I'm here to give my opinion and not um, just say things people like. I look at Lewis Ferguson and what he's doing at Bologna, and I think three million quid, a Scottish player who knows the league, who could have come in. Um, that's still quite a lot of money for Rangers, three million quid. So it doesn't have to be that. You look at Rio Hitati, played at Celtic, one million pounds, yeah. arguably the best midfielder in Scotland this season so far. I just think a lack of dynamism in there is really, really costing the club. Um, for me, Lundstrom can play as an eight more often. I want to see that more often. Arfield can obviously play in there. Tillman can play in there. Um, are are any of those players naturally always going to be eights? I mean, Lundstrom's a guy who can play multiple positions. Um, Tillman's more of a 10, I would argue. Arfield, yes, but he's 33. So Lawrence, again more of a winger, I would argue, than a, than a number eight, although he's been playing in there for Rangers. So I, I, I'd love to have seen the club go out, as everyone said, and I said on this podcast, prior to the transfer window clo closing, they need to go and get a box-to-box -box midfielder. Um, and they didn't do it. And, and I think uh, the club's paying for that, um, domestically especially.
Yeah, again, you know, I think that's fairly legitimate stuff. I, I might not go all the way with you in terms of Lewis Ferguson, just because of the type of player he's, he's been. But I absolutely get your point. It's completely logical in terms of he has went abroad and he's doing, you know, particularly particularly well. I, I always thought the Rangers had to add into the midfield as well. We, we didn't do it. Probably leads you into a wider question, going back to the way the fans are looking at recruitment, etc. which is, if we all saw it, why did we prioritise getting another fullback in on yeah. the left side or whatever? You know, and and I get we need Yelmaz there. Barisic hasn't been particularly at it, so it's good to get him, you know, some competition. But was it the priority in terms of or getting somebody in who had that energy? You referenced, you know, I don't particularly like referencing other teams' players, but you referenced Rio Hitati there, who, I mean, does have bags of energy and can play a bit. And like you said, the spend there from having so you're combining a few things. One, the cheapness of the spend. Two, the scouting network that goes out, you know, in Japan. And I know, obviously, that's where Ange Postecoglou would come from. But are we looking in those markets? That's a good spend. They'll make money on him, and he answers a question in the middle of the park, and he's, he's a decent player. We absolutely needed that type of player in, yeah. the, in there as well, which would have allowed the other players to do their jobs. Because right now, it's a bit of, right, can you do this? Can you also do that? Sometimes Lundstrom looks a little bit constrained because he's having to, to sit back further, whereas I think he can be slightly more expressive further forward. You know, you drop in Davies, Kamara's back, thankfully. I think there's a conundrum in there that we don't naturally get the best out. Ryan Jack, will he ever be the Ryan Jack that we saw under Steven Gerrard, given his injury basis? Not entirely sure he will. He certainly won't be as consistent on it. So, yeah, I agree with you. We should have filled the mid- midfield space, and if there's, if there's time, ability, money impatience in January then or post-World Cup I should say then we should absolutely be looking to drop somebody into that the problem is bedding them in halfway through a season yeah absolutely right listen Tommy it's been brilliant you've lived up to your billing as esteemed so well done <laughs> I don't know if the comments kind of agree with you on that but I'll take it I'll take it yeah brilliant mate uh, listen we're going to wrap it up right there it's been great 34 minutes is uh, way more than what I said I would keep you for so thank you for coming on it's been a delight of course you are the managing editor of This Is Ibrox, so let's give that site a wee plug. Tell us what you do. I'm sure, listen, I'm sure everyone knows, but let's do it anyway. Where, where can they find you? Where are you? Give us the full dinner. You're you're very kind there, Johnny. So you can find us on all the platforms that you would expect. Um, you know, Twitter, This Is Ibrox. You can get it on TikTok, Facebook, you know, websites, thisibrox.wixsite.com. You know, we find us on our YouTube as well. Lots of content, regular briefings, interviews, all the good stuff. Um, please come along, join the growing band and get involved. Terrific. Thanks, Tommy. Right, guys, we're going to call it a day there. Um, you can get us tomorrow, obviously. Actually, we'll, we'll be back on tonight um, after the game from Ibrox. Myself and Josh are there, as I said earlier. Um, so we will be live with the press conferences and post-match. Um, then we'll be back in tomorrow with uh, Derek um, hosting so we can have a chat about hopefully what will be a very positive Rangers performance. So we're going to call it a day there. Until next time, thanks.